work with CSS quite heavily and they're the best performing uh, type of affiliate. And then they'll email you some kind of, in some kind of broken English and say, why did you reject me? I think it wouldn't be as successful and then you would be in a sort of your own spiral there. You go, well, this isn't working, uh, let's not bother with it. And then you don't put any more budget in and then you go round and down and down. Get 30% off at Condor because they, you know, identified that there were some sale products. So people would click through and they'd be like, I can't find that 30% off. I went to Japan recently and I saw like, there's a lot of madness translated because they've just used a computer. Hello, you're listening to an episode of the Affiliate Marketing Diaries from Navigate Digital, the performance marketing agency of choice for challenger brands. I'm David Hall, the host of today's episode. In each episode, we talk to an interesting and experienced affiliate marketing professional with a wealth of knowledge from running a successful affiliate marketing program. And they share their highs, lows, hopes and expectations of this global customer acquisition channel. Today, we track the click path not the cycle path, taken by Claire Beaumont, the marketing manager for Condor Cycles. Condor Cycles is a specialist cycling company who design and fit bicycles for their customers in the UK and then hand build them in Italy. And they've been doing that for over 70 years. Claire, welcome. Are you ready to head into the Italian mountains and take us on an affiliate cycleway? Oh, definitely. Hi, thanks for having me. For everyone and anyone that's listened to uh, some of the other episodes that we have in the series, you'll know that there is a very first question that I ask all guests, uh, and that's no exception for Claire. When and how did you first become aware that affiliate marketing was a thing? Uh, affiliate marketing, um, I've been aware of for oh, since since the mid two thousands. Um, I used to work for a different multi chain cycle retailer. I didn't handle any affiliate marketing then. They handled it. And that was in the times when affiliate marketing was much more basic. Like, yeah, like it was. And it was a bit of a murky world. And um, there was lots of just websites going around with lots of, you know, affiliate links and just get as many as you possibly can and off you go. And um, it wasn't like it is now where you have CSS partners and you can utilize different types of affiliate marketing um, like you can now. And there wasn't. Um, I mean, I didn't get involved in the affiliate marketing back then, so I can't really speak about exactly how it was and and how it was used. At the time, what did you think of affiliate marketing? I think it was a very good way to get people to uh, click on your products and click on your site and sort of there was a lot of like uh, ways to guides and things where people were you know unsure about what they were doing in cycling and those kinds of affiliates where you know like best xyz and then you have affiliate links um, were, were actually very helpful but people are much more savvy about how they use the internet now so it wouldn't really have, it doesn't I don't think it works as well for the business that Condor is to use that kind of strategy that that way and if you think about how the how you know websites were laid out set up etc people don't use websites the same way that they do e-commerce websites the same way they do now can you tell us a little bit about the first project uh that you were involved in um just before the pandemic we wanted to move into affiliate marketing and it has taken a while to ensure that we had 
the right data. So when I joined uh, Condor Cycles, there was a stock system, but there was no website. They weren't connected. So if you sold something in the store, you it, you couldn't tell anyone anywhere else. So we needed to do that. Then, of course, the stock system is out of date and it's kind of old and it's got a web point 1.0 situation going on. So there was a lot of stuff to do in the background and cata- and there were a lot of products that were not cata- categorized correctly on the stock system and all these kind of things. So you have to do a lot of back work to get there. Uh, and then we were running um, uh, our own internal uh, AdWords um campaigns and marketing ppc marketing as alongside lots of other other things so so condor is a manufacturer of bicycles and our own branded products but we don't use affiliate marketing for that purpose we sell lots of other people's brands so a chain or a bicycle helmet cycle shoes and we wanted to use affiliate marketing to reach more people to tell that part of the business um, uh, rather than the bicycles. And the decision is there because Condor has quite a long-standing, pretty good reputation as a premium retailer, a premium cycle maker, and because um, you really need to be into cycling to want to purchase a Condor bicycle. If you if you just wake up one morning and say, I hate getting the bus, I need to get a bike, Condor isn't quite the place for you yet. But that's where people like Halfords come in and they're really great and cycle to work and things like that, where you get a bike, you love it, and then you move on to the next step and that's where you would maybe be a Condor Cycles customer. However, people who purchase their first bike at Halfords or wherever or online at Wiggle, um, they still need to buy a cycle helmet and all those other elements. And that's where that's where we look to um, start to make a little move into their market share and use affiliates to do that. Um, and it was the change where um, Google allowed third-party CSS. And because of that, uh, I think it was a ruling by the EU or something like that, that third-party CSS came along and we started working with Web, uh, Red Brain. Um, and we worked with Red Brain to do self-managed ads. So we did it internally in-house and you would get like a kickback from Google for using a third party. And then we looked and then Redbrain built out their business a little bit more and we worked with them and moved to work with them as an affiliate. And we literally just had one affiliate and that was Redbrain. And they, um, and it was through like a very, very small network who had only a few affiliates as well. And it was a very basic uh, portal and just before the pandemic uh, we decided that this is um, an area we want to focus much more time on in the business allocate more budget over we had no idea that you know covid was coming at the same time we'd stopped our sponsorship of a pro cycling team so we had a lot more budget around to to focus on driving new customers to make these off bike purchases or component purchases and that's really what how it started and what we did there and then the pandemic came and we were right in the middle of like starting our affiliate program and it just kicked off because everybody wanted bikes and everybody wanted everything. So we went from like zero data to like 
all the data you could possibly need and loads of skewed data and loads of random things and our affiliates were like what 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 should be selling we were like we don't know uh because we don't have any data we were meant to be building this up over the first quarter and it was just quite mad yes that does sound crazy and massively exaggerated by a pandemic which pushed a lot of people online do you think if the pandemic hadn't happened, do you think you actually still might have seen a similar uh, exponential level of growth? I think it would have grown quickly anyway, yeah. I agree, right? But that's because I'm so pro-affiliate. Why do you think it would be and would have been successful anyway? Affiliates have so much more um, audience reach than any other method. And you can do lots of things with lots of different affiliates and reach lots of different groups at the same time. And so you don't have to be like, oh, what should we do here? What should we do here? Also, they're specialists in every element. If, as long as you like are choosing the right affiliates, they're specialists in every element So, um, or their own areas. So you can be assured that you're getting the right like reach more pinpointed rather than a trial and more of a trial and error approach if you tried to do it and then there's there's other things where affiliates can just just buy them uh, paid links on um review sites but uh, magazine review sites so there's trusted magazines there's trusted magazines out there that have been running for decades cycling plus and bike radar and all these they've got a huge share and people go to them to find out the latest products reviews everything they're very trusted and they have um affiliate links um on their reviews and that's a really great way to reach people because you not only got a trusted source uh and then you've 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 got you know, the go-to to go and get it. And they trust the link that they're clicking. And that's much better than if you tried to just hope that somebody would um, read a review and then search online for you later on. So it's all related to, to content affiliates, really, and, and review sites, right? Content affiliates, yes. Do you think you could do a, com- a sort of comparison as to how you would have approached affiliate marketing if you hadn't had that budget or how it might have impacted affiliate marketing if you'd have to approach it with a much um, a less committed budget and much more of a performance budget, which is like, well, we'll grow it as it grows. I think it wouldn't be as successful. And then you would be in a sort of your own spiral there. You go, well, this isn't working. Oh, let's not bother with it. And then you don't put any more budget in and then you go round and down and down. Um, you, you need the budget whether that is whether you want to initially put a bit of budget in because you need from time for a time like allocating somebody else's resources to do to do x y or z that's part of the budget or or you put the budget in um where you say right well we're going to give whatever in the first three months to learning and getting as much data and acquisitions as and conversions as possible and then scale back or push again um i think the budget we allocated was mostly on time resources in in house making time to review everything making time to like go over what what we'd seen uh this also did come in the middle of covid so we were a bit stretched uh, because everybody was doing like a million things 
at the same time because we all had to work from home and figure that out at the same time. But for example, just display ads that we run through our affiliates, like make sure we're like making more and more just to test everything to make rather than say, well, let's just leave it for like six months and see what happens. Oh, that sort of didn't work. Should we try something else now? Or we tried this display ads organically ourselves or in our own ad campaigns. They worked. But with an affiliate, it doesn't, it might not work the same. So that's why we put the budget there to like, okay, well, let's have the design team do something every six weeks. Let's review it. Really interesting and really valuable. The fact you did commit that budget to, to both a design and actually internal resource time so it's not just budget which is hey go 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 commit this and, and enable affiliates to do stuff but actually reviewing and budget and committing yes your time budgeting your time to making sure that's working is a that's a massive lesson what was what was the biggest moment of learning what what was the biggest mistake you you saw at that moment um mistakes are great things to learn from what what did you notice where you, you needed to make a change and it acted a change that resulted in, in a positive outcome? Well, during the pandemic, there was it was quite difficult to get bicycle parts and the sort of the go-to thing to do in Affiliate Martin is to run voucher codes, but there's no need to run voucher codes for a cycle business at this specific time. That was not the right thing to do. So what we were doing is we were just giving away money where people wanted the product anyway so we didn't have to compete with anyone because we had the products and some people didn't and there was like quite a lot of and that sounds a little bit selfish but um that that we yeah so we immediately stopped um doing voucher codes and running voucher codes because it was just taking away um, profit that we we kind of really needed because we didn't know what was happening you know after July 2020 we didn't know if people were going to come back into shops and then we use uh, that we were also using a sub network and they were sort of taking away good sales quality sales and giving us sort of poor quality clicks um, from our CSS partners and actually, we got much better quality sales, much better quality customers using CSS, not using sub-network. Would you mind sharing what you, how you define the sub-network? I think I'm sure there's people who are like thinking, I don't necessarily know what that means. Um, what does it mean to um, you? Sub-network is where um, an affiliate does a number of things. So they might run batch codes, they might run ad extensions, they might run display ads, or they might run affiliate activity through several other affiliates that you don't know who they are. Um, and that's really where we kind of came unstuck because we didn't know who the sub-networks were using as their affiliates. And there was a couple that had uh, links that would be like, get free shipping at Quadro Cycles. But we already offered free shipping um, during the pandemic. So it was just a non a non-thing so we'd get a link put someone would click a link and it would rob our css partner who's been putting in loads of uh a budget to to earn the customer and then they were saying oh we're not doing as well as we were and we can't work out why and we're gonna we're gonna sort of slow down our activity and then we worked out that it was because of those kind of things. We also had some customer complaints where Subnetwork was running and it was saying, get 30% off at Condor because they, you know, identified that there was some sale products. So people would click through 
And then we are, I can't find that 30 cent off. I, I thought it was a global discount. Uh, this is very confusing and you're misleading me and you're trying to do it on purpose. And we were like, hang on, we, we didn't, we didn't. And it took a long time actually to get some of our, um, sub network links removed. It's a really important um, aspect of affiliate marketing control and understanding how you went about that and who supports you. And that is, is you know, is ev to everyone's interest. So how did you go about getting so that control? So there were control? a couple of websites we identified and then we looked back through the data and realized that they were through a sub-network. So we said, well, we haven't onboarded this affiliate by this name. So to go back through the data, find that it was a sub-network, contact the sub-network and say, this is not working to what we want to do and it doesn't meet our policy terms. And they said, oh, well, we can't change that. So either you have to stop with the sub-network or you know, accept it. So we contacted the website directly and asked if they'd take it down or remove it or adjust it. And they obviously didn't want to. It's more sort of, it's quite clickbaity, some of them. So that's what we were trying to adjust. And then we made, made a decision to work out whether it was worth working with certain sub-networks because it was just more negativity than positivity and we would take and would we um so we put the account on we contacted the sub network and said because of these reasons um we're going to put the account on a pause for after 30 days so we gave them 30 days notice so they were aware of what we thought we also contacted web games and told our account manager and just got her feedback on it because we wanted to make sure we were doing everything um so yeah so we contacted the sub networks gave them 30 days paused the account, had a look at the data after six weeks, saw that we had not seen a decline in the number of conversions, actually increased the conversions. Uh, and so we decided that that was the point at which we decided that subnetworks were not suited to this business. Uh, we still work with Skim Links, I think they're a subnetwork. Um, and yeah, so we just, and that basically was a real good example of being aware of the kind of people you're onboarding and and just can, if you onboard somebody to keep monitoring them don't just like put them on there and then yeah hope for the best or be like oh well whatever you need to be like okay we've onboarded these five this month let's look at them in 30 days let's look at them in 10 days and just keep looking at what they're doing let's also look at all the other affiliates that we're already currently partnering with and ensure that these new five have not thrown the other ones out of kilter. You talk about the click path, knowing the journey of the, of the, of the customer. Um, uh, so how clear are you on, on any instance where a customer has bought something? How clear is that click path to you? Is it perfectly clear a little bit obfuscated does the network give you that insight the network doesn't give you that much insight but you can see from we work on the platform shopify uh you can see um the the journey of the customer we also work at, with affiliates at different levels to to bring that customer through the journey and there's one affiliate we work with um which is incubator that does display PPC and CSS. Uh, also, Pmax now is what some some people uh, they use, which is part of uh, Google's product offering. And um, yeah, 
we use that because we want to move the customer through that exact journey of going from display right through to you know may, being in the um the phase of uh, purchase uh, rather than consideration or even just uh, researching we talked about the subnetworks the last fair and a little bit about that click path which is a really important thing for you to see and and and, and often um, marketing teams do indeed struggle to to engage the affiliate team uh, or understand what the affiliate team or bother to understand what the affiliate team is doing. I, from your perspective, because you're looking at it uh, more holistically as a role, as, as, the, as the marketing manager of the whole business, is that a challenge you have or actually are you better suited to understand and um relate to the entire journey with and without affiliates there's some data that's obviously missing from your reporting that the affiliates have and you don't but you can get most of that information um yeah a few people in the business obviously don't understand how it actually works so they might put they might do something and then not tell you and you're like well if you told me then uh we could have talked to the affiliates about it um uh, and, and things like that. Well, is, there, is there an example there that others can love a mistake? Where you're like, oh, that broke all the affiliate links for 10 minutes or maybe half a yeah, day. Yeah, there was something we did. Uh, no, it wasn't It wasn't somebody's fault. It was, I think it was like Shopify's fault. They Shopify added a Shopify market, so it allows you to do multi-country retailing. And there was some data that got pulled in, um, but instead of um, the currency being pulled in, it got pulled in in, pounds so instead of it being um converted to like 79 pounds it was still like eighty thousand Kazakhstanian dollars i'm sorry i don't i don't know the currency and we 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 suddenly got the report and we were like what's happened here we now owe quite a lot of money to like one of our affiliates and then we were like we haven't made an eighty thousand pound sale why is it what um so yeah i mean we had to like you know, go back and have a look. And that's the value of having a weekly report as well, just to keep an eye on things like that. And uh, so you don't have to, yeah, at the end of the month, realise that you've got quite a lot of issues or something like that. Well, I'd quite like to go into into the, the network that you use. You're with WebGains. So how did that come about? We kind of picked uh, web games because they're small and they're like Condor. At the time, they were smaller than the others and they're like Condor. Uh, their pricing was a little bit more achievable, especially for people in the business who thought that um, they had the, uh, the sort of older idea that affiliate marketing was a bit murky and it was just for content links or a bit clickbaity. And, uh, you know, they didn't understand that you could also run your CSS through that kind of stuff, even though we had some of the information right there from our previous network so yeah um and at the time web games were working on a new uh, beta platform and they showed us the beta platform and it was quite a lot easier for us to create ports and, and, and share information with other people in the business and easier for them to understand less and actually less resource it's converting uh you know csvs into easy readable product readable um readable data uh yeah so that's how we started working with uh, web gains what would be the driver for you to review the network um we want to retail in other markets and uh, um 
there aren't always affiliates available who specialize in, say, Australia or other English-speaking markets like America, Australia. And so um, that would be the driver to move from the platform to to work with, say, Awin, who who may have an affiliate. The the other the other um, thing is we would review anyway every eight to nine months because you always should keep pushing and keep squeezing more out of whatever you do. There might be a tool that one of them has just created that is the thing that's going to revolutionize something or it's going to make it's going to save you four hours a week. That would be amazing, and then you should keep always looking and reviewing and assessing. And I think that's good for web gains as well, because we can give them that feedback, like, hi, we've reviewed this and they've got this. Are you going to plan to do that? Um, or, you know, stuff like that. And stuff can come out from the calls you do with your account manager. Um, and they may, might make suggestions that you wouldn't have thought of. And do you work with a program manager within, within web gains or do you do all internally yourselves? We've got a sort of halfway house. We're not a fully managed program by WebGains. Um, we self-manage it. Um, but there is an account manager, and she's very good at um, just giving us feedback, taking on um, inquiries from other affiliates or affiliates that have joined the network that she might feel are relevant. She doesn't look after any other. There's no conflict of interest. She doesn't look after any other cycle retailers. But she might hear from somebody else in the in yeah, web gains and they say oh we've just onboarded i don't know Klarna, have you thought about that and um she'll field any inquiries first which is quite handy so sometimes we obviously will have um, applications from um, affiliates direct into our portal but there might be some one-on-ones where there's decks and stuff um that she can share so uh, is there something that you know you want to try within affiliate marketing? Um, we've done a bit of a sort of crazy thing and we've tried it all in the height of the pandemic. So we've got really skewed data. So this year is all about just getting some benchmark figures to build upon for the following years. Um, we have been using um, a blended CPA recently. So um, providing different CPAs at different percentages for certain brands or product types this is to help us be a bit little bit more competitive because now that stock availability is just sort of normalized again you've got more competition especially on css so uh, or google shopping i should say you need to be a bit more competitive but you don't want to just go oh let's just put eight percent across everyone or let's put 15 whatever numbers because that that's not very smart We've also been trying um, new versus returning customers, different CPAs there with a certain affiliate just to see um, what that can achieve. Um, and so we can, you know, just to make our budget and not sort of just be giving away profit that we don't need to and also give the affiliate what they're looking for because it's got to work for both of you. Something we talked about earlier, which was that you didn't need to use voucher codes as much when you were strong with product and stock against a market that was 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 stock deficient. And that's as you say, that's that started to get back to a, a more equilibrium and, and you're competing now. You know, you could be and should be working with more voucher code sites. Is that something that you would recognize? Is that sort of true for you? Yeah, we don't work with many voucher codes, if any. 
I don't I don't count cashback sites as voucher codes, but we work with cashback sites no, no, no. and incentives. Yeah. yeah. Okay, just clarifying. And we work with and we work with closed group um, incentive affiliates. So blue light card if you if you're a nurse or something like that. Um, you know, we we obviously offer um, uh, promotional discounts to or blanket discounts to those groups. We don't offer voucher codes or not on voucher code sites because we found that we don't really achieve customer loyalty uh, through them and um, we have quite a number of exclusive brands who we don't need to offer a discount on so you still seek seek to find those those exclusive products to distribute yeah yes and that's why voucher codes kind of don't really need to work for us um we do use you know discount incentives in other um channels so you know email marketing we use you know discount incentives um and you know winbacks and things like that but it hasn't really worked for us like we thought it would on affiliates and maybe we haven't found the route voucher code site maybe it's that or maybe it's because we just value the um work we do with our css partners who are the strongest of our partners and we've worked very hard to gain five that we really work with. We almost have weekly, uh, monthly calls with them to to continue to, you know, make sure they're profitable. We're getting the right, the right sales, the right product areas. Um, yeah, so we, I feel that voucher codes could jeopardise what we've done there. But again, we're never going to not look and be like, that's it, it's done. Absolutely. Do you work with any on-site technologies that present uh, present messaging to consumers who are making their way through the website? Um, no, we don't actually. There's two problems here. Shopify doesn't allow you access to the checkout uh, checkout scripts, so we're a little bit hampered there. Sorry, I should clarify that and say that Shopify does if you are using a certain um, account level. So we don't use on on site at the moment. We use Clavio and um, an email marketing um, platform, and we do a lot of the work through there to, you know, win back customers, share, you know, share this to get X, Y, or Z, and um, then we don't have to give away um, some of our um, some more margin to um, affiliates. Um, I think there is an element. This is this is an internal discussion of being too reliant on affiliates and ensuring that we do have our other channels. I mean, on board on site technology is, is I think is great because they're they it's learning. It's not just blanket, and it means that you don't have to have another person handling email marketing and keeping and, and, and looking at what pop up banner worked here and didn't work here and this that and the other. But as a small business and we only have a certain number of people, um, if we're employing someone to work on email marketing, then then that's what they're going to do and, and maximise to the best of their abilities. So we don't want to conflict with what we're already paying someone to do. Or maybe it's short-sighted to not use on-board te- on-site technology. In every other instance, you've said, we look at stuff and we say yes or no, and then we'll review stuff. I do think that there is value in reviewing that because it might be that you are over limiting yourself in areas that might work for you. And I'm, and I'm you know, confident that the likes of Unicodo, Revlifter, Intently, a fan player, all 
doing working to some extent in a, in a similar space they'll, they'll they'll have their nuances and they're also aware of that challenge and wanting to work with you to say well when is it right to be involved and when is it right to make a much more strategic level customer offer so actually we we recognize with you this customer is more likely to buy even if they don't buy but proportionally they're more likely to buy and actually you you end up more profitable by not offering something to those because eight out of ten of them did buy at the rate they bought and we've identified that we lost two it's not about the two that we lost it's about the eight that bought at a full rate right but then there's this other group who are like these are let's say you know they they you're un, let's call them unlikely buyers they're not very likely to buy let's say five percent out of the hundred will buy at full price but it'd be much nicer to capture four you know four or five of the 95 that are wandering away and strategically they are much more capable of doing that consumer-led journey offers uh, and their technology is is a is is available i'd be pushing them for that like level of lull i don't want it all the time and i in fact i want it to be very very strategic yeah, we had a few instances where we, we looked at it and what happened was in the case studies it, where a customer had gone forward and back on a couple of pages, they had abandoned the page. And what it and then the example that they brought us up was a component. And what the customers were trying to figure out was if this vintage part would fit something. And it wasn't that they were just really interested in the product and doing lots of research. It was just because we have a lot of weird vintage parts and lots of bolts and screws and people were like clicking forward and back and maybe holding their own screw up to the screen. And um, that that flagged as like intent, but not to purchase. And I think in most of those examples, I bet the customer called the store or emailed customer services and said, I've seen this and I just want to make sure this is right because I don't want to waste my time ordering something that's not going to fit because that's a nuance of cycling. Uh, I'm like a running trainer. It's size seven. It fits. Uh, I like the color. There's lots of stuff that isn't about color. It's like, will this work? Is it compatible? And they kept, and they flag up in some of these uh, and sometimes showing false intent. I think then also it's like just maybe identifying some product groups for them to ignore, just completely ignore, just ignore anything that falls into this strange category over here. Or let's do, just look only at these high value products, which can do X, Y and Z. Don't just blanketly do it across the site and say it won't and then it doesn't work. You said something earlier, which is really interesting. You said about the business being too reliant on affiliate. And again, I think this really plays into your view, a much better holistic view from a marketing and business sales perspective. What does that mean to be too reliant on affiliates and how might that be a mistake? If you just had a technical issue and you're relying only on affiliates bringing in your revenue, uh, you have a technical issue, you might have downtime for a week until you solve it. And you may not have a one-to-one -one relationship with the affiliate. So you email them and say, this, this is suddenly the feed is, our feed is, our feed appears fine. What's happened? Have you made a change on your side? And they might not get back to you for three days. You're losing three days worth of sales. That's bad. I would say, depending on how many sales you're making and the num the, the value of each sale, but you could have just a technical issue that would, yeah. You share something really interesting there, which is your urgency is seldom an affiliate's urgency. Yeah, unless you have a really great relationship with an affiliate. 
And the other thing is that you don't know if the platform has a problem. So you've got two lines of inquiry there uh, that you might have to. And again, the platform is not going to maybe respond to you within two hours that you need. The web games usually respond to us within uh, within the same day very quickly, um, uh, tries to help with the solution. But yeah. Again, you can so just a technical issue. You should keep aware, be aware that that can happen. Um, also, if you want to switch platforms, you will have some downtime, and that downtime again, you know, you just want to move away from whoever you're working with and start another one. You, you could run them overlap, I guess. I guess, but there will be some downtime somewhere. So again, not too much reliance on the affiliate, um, and then. The other thing is, if you're relying them on them so much, then um, you might get sort of skewed data from where they're pushing and they can see. And you kind of don't have really any say in what they're pushing on. You could tell them, oh, we've, we've just started this line of whatever, or this brand. We think it's going to work. Can you push a bit more? And they're like, well, actually, no, it's not a revenue stream that's working. And so it's probably best that we keep it, you know, focus on organic, focus on our PR, focus on social for that brand and and build it that way and then throw it back to an affiliate. If you maybe had it that you think that that new product line is going to instantly sell through an affiliate and then it doesn't and you put all your eggs that way and you haven't done any of the other stuff, then you, you, you've then got to backtrack and go through it from there. Um, that's why I think an, a sort of an understanding of all the landscape is is a good idea. What proportion of business should be expected from the affiliate channel against the other channel? So, how, you know, what is what's the split across your marketing activities? I, I think it depends on the affiliates you work with. So we work with CSS quite heavily, and they're the best performing uh, type of affiliate. And I think. Uh, because there's lots of products that we sell that other people sell. So using Google Shopping is the best place there. Maybe a fashion brand or a T-shirt brand may not feel that that's the best way to go and they want to use influencer or um, content links, something like that. Um, so, yeah, my I don't think there's a an industry standard because of the different the different mix of affiliates that different businesses need. But we generally bring in 40% of our um, revenue from affiliates. I, I do think that's um, a strong and quite a high number. I think it highlights the extent to which you are using the, the CSS affiliates. Oh, I should actually qualify that. I should just qualify that and say not, not our bicycles. So it's accessories, components and clothing only. The bicycles is a separate um, wing when we're talking about that. So I think if we add in the bicycles, it would push right down. You've talked a lot about the CSS guys, and I feel like it, it would be nice to give them a bit of a name check. But are you happy to share the or one or two that have really worked well for you and, and the relationships you've got with them? Yeah, the thing is with affiliates is that they're, they use that lots of algorithms and machine learning. So they'll go up and down and up and down. And if you play about with one you will see a change in the other and you need to be aware of that so that's why you need five and you also need some that are really good at focusing on like low branded low value products and some that just push on high so and just onboarding css affiliates is not 
just going to be an instant success. Uh, anyway, and you need a really good feed for CSS affiliates to work. The date, the good quality data you give them will work for you. They'll give you proper ads. They'll give you the they'll they'll get the right information to the customer, um, and then their customer will click. So the people that we work with are. Um, Genie incubator. There's a few European ones we work with exclusively. Um, you know, when I say uh, good quality data, you don't want to have. Um, I mean, this is so obvious. I, I don't want to be, you know, people telling people to suck eggs. But if you've got um, a feed in Germany and you're using a German affiliate, it's not a requirement from Google that you have a German product titles. But it's going to be better, isn't it? Because people aren't going to search in England, English if they're in Germany. You say that that's basic. It is basic, but it's easy overlooked. Yeah. And because it's not a requirement from Google shopping to have a feed in German or a secondary feed in German, uh, people just don't do it. And then you're like, oh, well, it didn't work. This It's not working. But that's not, uh, yeah. And affiliates, they don't have time to tell you why that your individual feed won't, won't work. Yeah, that's really good. But yet again, you definitely highlight something I have to ask, which is, yeah, a good feed. How do you go about making sure that you have a good quality feed? Um, r- right. Uh, right. So I, the best tool you can have for a good quality feed, I think, is the Google Merchant Center. So log into Google Merchant Center, have a look. It will give you information there. You've got stuff there that says, like, red, your ad is disallowed because you've got whatever some kind of error you just fix them first you might always you always i mean there's like five thousand SKUs in the merchant center at the moment there might be about nine products that are red uh, for some reason like somebody's put a typo in the title but it's a good highlight to, to tell the um, online merchandisers oh you've just you've added an ampersand there when you should have you should have hit the the M button, whatever, or the M key. So, the, and then going from there, uh, Google has lots of um, little suggestions that you can do. So making sure that your product titles are not too long, that you're, um, you uh, might have the color like correctly written or the color that's the most people search for. So yeah, just making sure that you've got a lot of obvious words in your product titles, things like that. Um, if someone's looking for a cycle computer and you've got the product, uh, there is a product which is called a Wahoo Element Bolt. Now, somebody might just search Wahoo cycle computer. And if you don't have that last part there on the phrase, the ad may not fire or it might be a low quality fire. So. Yeah, it's just going through your products and making sure that you have obvious titles and thinking about how people would search for it. Think about like I don't know the other the other year I was trying to look for a washing machine and it's really good a really good task because how was I searching for something I don't really know much about? Uh, what what did I do? What did I search? You know, did I search Whirlpool washing machine or did I go on the you know did I type in the product name or then re, you know just having that applied to your own business is a good idea. Um, the other thing with the, yeah, the other thing with the good quality feed is to make sure you, you um, have descriptions and specifications about your products because that's that's going to be in there as well and the, the affiliate's going to pick up 
um, information about size and color and that kind of stuff and try to be consistent. So don't do S slash M if everything else is small, medium, you know, just suddenly you're just changing the rules a little bit for your own site and you're losing consistency. And um, if it's, you know, European language, you need to do how you write small in German. Well, I, can't, I don't know how you do that. <laughs> but, yeah. So, and in some cases, you want to think about whether you use machine translation or human translation, because there'll be some products. So we have a we have a brand of bag, and the bag brand is Mission Workshop. Now, the machine is not going to know that that's a brand, and so it therefore translated Mission Workshop into whatever it was. And so you have to go back and be like, oh no, I need to I need to write that as the brand is said. Um, and then in other things, you you need a human to have a look and. You, 5,000 SKUs is too much for a human to translate. So first of all, start with the top 100 products that you are selling in Europe or you've sold organically in Europe or you're just selling in UK if you're then going to, if you don't have any data and be like, right, well, let's machine, let's human translate that. Let the machine do the other bit and then we'll work on it and work through and see how it's going. Because there's a lot for human translation in certain places. I mean, I don't know if you've ever, I went to Japan recently and I saw like, there's a lot of madness translated because they've just used a computer. And it's funny, but it's not going to give you the results when you're actually purchasing. Are there any other tools that you'd say, ah, oh, this is also something I, you know, I really rely on? Um, of Google event tracking in GA4 is also really good. Um, make sure you set up weekly and monthly email reports split by the top performing um, affiliates, um, sp split your report for the top performing products. It, it depends on the nature of business, but like if you've got the top performing products, you can then sell the purchasing team. Um, this is what's happening over here in affiliate marketing. They're pushing on pedals somehow for some reason. And they know if they need to buy in again, or you can tell even the dispatch team. I remember we had an exclusive on something and they didn't realize. And then we said, it's really pushing hard. And they went and got a pallet and they put it right next to the dispatchers. So they didn't have to walk five miles to the other side of the warehouse every time that it kept getting a sale in every couple of minutes. You know, just little things like that would helps everybody because you're all working together, really. There's a smart commission tool, which is in web, within web games um, that just allows us to look at different commission levels, different product groups. Yeah, they're my like go-to quick ones that everyone can sort of get involved with, apart from the web games one, but yeah. I asked the guest on the last episode, uh, Jordi, um, what, what question were, would he like to put to you? And his question uh, was, what would you tell yourself if you could meet yourself three years ago and say, oh, you're about to start doing affiliate marketing. Uh, let me have a think, because there's quite a lot to think about to tell myself. I think I just tell myself everything I just told you in this whole interview. Yeah. I'd, and I'd also tell you about those tools there, because you don't know when you first start, and those tools are invaluable to me um, and to everybody in the business, because they now have information. And I also would tell myself, like, Get involved with Blue Light Card, which is a closed group, but it's for firefighters and NHS and people like that. And we really want to shout out to those people that do that. 
but the blue lark has a really good way of like giving a discount to that services group is there an affiliate that you recommend that you champion um that yeah, sounds like you just did i don't know really we really like the work of incubator what question do you want me to put to our next guest Oh, the other guy's question was so good. <laughs> well done, Geordie. <laughs> yeah, no, I can't really go from, um, let me just say, can I email you a question in a minute after I've had a thought? <laughs> Absolutely, I think that's fine. That's all, folks. If you found something useful in this or a previous episode, we'd love to hear what it was and how you acted on it. You can leave comments on Navigate Digital's website where you can also find a transcript of this conversation and links to all the references, websites or tools mentioned in this and all episodes of the Affiliate Marketing Diaries. Please like and subscribe to the podcast on your favourite streaming platform to be kept up to date of each episode when it's released. Thanks for listening and bye for now.